0: This week on P.A. Books, the author of Remembering Pittsburgh, Len Barkowski.
1: Len Barkowski, author of Remembering Pittsburgh, An Eyewitness History of the Steel City. If someone buys this book, what do they get?
0: What they get are are stories based on the Post-Gazette's archives. The Post-Gazette has been around since uh, 1786, uh, starting as the Pittsburgh Gazette. We're the oldest newspaper west of the Alleghenies, and for us, Topics like uh, the Whiskey Rebellion and George Washington's first inaugural, those were breaking news stories for us. Uh, Our archives are uh, are a wonderful resource and what this book collects is reports on how historic events and not so historic events were originally reported the day after or the week after they happened.
1: So you dug through the archives and found interesting stories?
0: I've spent a lot of time going through uh, going through Post Gazette archives in uh, over the past three years or so. Uh, this project got underway uh, during the uh, uh, during 2008, which was the 250th anniversary of the founding of Pittsburgh. Uh, in uh, history has always been very important to the Post Gazette and to uh, and to its into its senior editors, uh, John Robinson Block and and David Shribman. Uh, you know the belief is that that uh, our history. Can tell us an awful lot, not only about where we've been, but also where we are now and where we're, we're likely to be going. So, a history project seemed appropriate. The 250th anniversary seemed like a good time to uh, to take a look at what had been reported in the newspaper over more than over more than two centuries. Um, so, we started that project, uh, uh, calling it Eyewitness. Uh, because it was based on those eyewitness reports, those next day, those next day reports of uh, of various events, the uh, v- sieges at Fort Pitt, uh, 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 floods here at Fort Pitt, uh, uh, and uh, uh, as th- those those stories turned out to be uh, just as exciting uh, and as just as illuminating now as when uh, as when they were first uh, as when they first appeared in the paper, uh, as I said, more than two, some of them, more than two hundred years ago. So this is
1: a column you do.
0: It is every second week, page A2, of the uh, of the Sunday paper, uh, and uh, uh, I've gone I've gone through a couple of cycles. That is starting back in uh, starting back with with 17, uh, actually a little earlier than uh, 1758, when the French were here and it was Fort Duquesne. There's a register of Fort Duquesne that contains uh, information on uh, uh, births and deaths. And those can tell you something about life on the frontier when this was when when where we're sitting now was part of a was part of a French settlement. We're we're downtown and we're no more than we're no no more than half a mile, maybe a little less than when where Fort Duquesne uh, stood in the uh, in the early 1750s. Those early reports in the Fort Duquesne register of, of births and deaths, uh, sadly, so many of them deal with the with the deaths of uh, of children. Uh, Life was very difficult on the frontier, certainly for men, but particularly tough for women and children. Uh, uh, so lots of lots of deaths of children in uh, in in those early in those in those early days, uh, but also deaths from uh, deaths from Indian attack. Uh, uh, this was this was a tough place in the uh, in the 1750s. One of the things that when I go out and I talk to various community groups, uh, when you think of the Wild West. Uh, you think of Arizona and the desert, and you think of Geronimo and the Apaches. Uh, Pittsburgh, uh, when this was called the Ohio Country, known as the Ohio Country. This was the frontier, and this was as wild a west frontier, and it was the wild west for longer than, uh, than the American southwest. Uh, uh, there was danger behind, uh, behind every tree. There was, uh, there was death in uh, in 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 ambush uh, throughout this area for a very very long time what was the attraction that brought people here the rivers in part this was also uh, the, the rivers were a big part if you controlled, the french understood this the british understood this and and the americans came to understand it as well the rivers were critical if you controlled the spot at the at the point where the the monongahela and the allegheny come together to form the ohio if you control that point you control the, uh, the entrance to the interior of the of the country, uh, and uh, that's why that's why for the for the better part of uh, the better part of 50 years there were there were battles to control this uh, control this area. Uh, the Indians also. Understood in a sense, its uh, its its importance as well, and there, and they were the third player in this uh, in this battle for control of this area, you had, or fourth player, I guess I should say, the British, the French, the Americans, and the Native Americans, all of all of whom were uh, determined to have a to have a foothold here at the uh, at the uh, at the forks of the Ohio.
1: Now, when is it you said the Post Gazette started its
0: history? The Post Gazette began in uh, in, uh, in seventeen seventeen eighty six as the Gazette, as the Gazette, the Pittsburgh Gazette.
1: Seventeen eighty six. Uh, if you had come to Pittsburgh in seventeen eighty six and looked around, what what was the city like? How many people were here? What were the businesses? When, and and what would have possessed somebody to say, "Hey, let's start a newspaper"?
0: It would have it would have been it would have been uh, in the in the hundreds to the low thousands. Uh, it would have been dominated by the ruins of a, the ruins of a fort uh, uh, fort Pitt, uh, which was the british fortification when it was built uh, shortly after 1758 when it was built it was the lo- it, was, it was one of or the largest british fortifications in the in the new world uh, it was made of uh, it was made of brick and it had uh, and it had multiple bastions uh, and uh, uh, again which gives you some idea of how important this area was seen to be by the uh, by the british um, uh, its defensive importance had declined uh, as American control over, uh, over this area became, uh, became stronger. The British were pushed back, in effect, into, uh, the French were gone, and the British were pushed back into, into Canada. So the fort, which had been the original reason for being here, was now dominated by what was still, though, a small frontier town, um, but, again, an important frontier town because goods coming down the Allegheny, goods coming down the Mon, uh, and then from this town, you could go all the way. Uh, you could travel all the way to New Orleans and the Gulf of Mexico via what is now St. Louis. Uh, it was a long journey, but it was, it, it, the rivers were the highways, and, uh, and uh, Pittsburgh was, uh, was centrally located. At the
1: time, if you were in Pittsburgh, did you think more, New Orleans than Philadelphia because it was easier
0: to get there? I think I think many people did Uh, even though Philadelphia was only 300 miles away it was a really rough 300 miles away Uh, I have family in eastern Pennsylvania and each time I travel through the Alleghenies on a modern turnpike with you know tunnels and well banked roads I'm impressed by how tough those mountains are to get through especially if there's a little snow Especially if there's a little uh, a little ice on the road, it's those are still tough mountains. They were a barrier, and they were a barrier un- until the, the 1850s, really, when the when the railroad came through. Uh, so it was much easier to go, much easier to go by water to New Orleans than to get through. And it was certainly much easier to move goods, uh, almost all goods, other than possibly whiskey, uh, uh, by water to New Orleans and into the in- interior of the country. Than it was to move. Than it was to move things to Philadelphia.
1: Did traffic go both ways? Did things come up the Mississippi to bring
0: supplies? To it would. It would have been a little harder. So they would have had to have been uh, 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 critically needed things uh, because it would be. You know, you'd be polling all the way. This was uh, This was an area of uh, of uh, of uh, barges for the most part, or or, or uh, canal. You know, sort of canal boats. Um, uh, although one of the uh, one of the early steamboats was made here in uh, in, in eighteen eleven. Uh, a man named Nicholas Roosevelt, a very distant cousin of, uh, of Theodore Roosevelt and then of uh, Franklin Roosevelt, built a uh, built, uh, built a steamboat here called the New Orleans in uh, in, uh, in in 1811. Or he launched it in 1811 from here, but it was built here. And I think that says something about the sophistication of uh, Pittsburgh industry at that fairly early that at that fairly fairly early date. How, how does that date compare to Robert Fulton's? Uh, just a few years afterwards, just a few years afterwards, uh, 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 Nicholas Roosevelt was a partner of Fulton's in uh, in his uh, in his steamboat efforts in uh, in uh, New York State. Um, that uh, that steam building that steamboat here, the uh, you know the gears and the and the boilers and the engine parts, all that were required for that steamboat, might have been the nineteenth century equivalent of putting together a a, 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 a supersonic airliner. And they were able to do that here. You had the machinists, you had the uh, uh, you had the skilled workmen uh, here in here in Pittsburgh to be able to do that project, to be able to uh, to build that boat. That uh, that Nicholas Roosevelt and his crew included his his crew included his uh, his young wife. Uh, uh, they were able to travel. They were able to travel down down river all the way to New Orleans.
1: Uh, Twelve days, I believe.
0: Oh, it was a much longer trip than that. The trip to New Orleans, I think, was much longer was than that. Was it 12 weeks? Might have been 12 weeks. Uh, Might have been 12 did, weeks. Did it ever come back? Uh, no, no. Uh, it, it, it was pressed into what was called packet service between uh, between communities along the uh, along the Mississippi.
1: Now I want to get back to Pittsburgh in 1786. That was after the Declaration of Independence, before George Washington became president, before the Constitution. So correct, sort of correct. Of the Confederation. Was there much connection between Pittsburgh and the central
0: government at the time? Almost, almost none. As I said, this was the frontier. This was the Wild West. There was, in 1786, there were still disputes. I think this is, this is accurate. Uh, uh, there had been disputes over, for a very long time over whether, over whether Pittsburgh was part of Virginia or was Pittsburgh part of Pennsylvania. The, the Pens obviously said, we want to draw that line straight across the bottom of Pennsylvania, uh, and uh, wh- what's now the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, and that's, that's going to be our boundary between Pennsylvania and Virginia. George Washington came here very early on in, uh, in uh, 1753, and one of the reasons George Washington came here was because he was a Virginian, and Virginia had great hopes of, uh, of snagging this important, this important point uh, at the Forks of the Ohio for, uh, for Virginia. Um, and I've completely managed to avoid your question, which was the, the, links, between the uh, links between the federal government. Well, that's okay.
1: I'm <laughs> it's interesting. Go ahead. The, uh,
0: uh, yeah, the federal government would have been, the federal government and the state government, both would have been seen as, uh, as uh, pretty unimportant here in, here in Pittsburgh. Uh, where the federal government became important was with, the, was with Alexander Hamilton's uh, recommendation of and then the imposition of a tax on whiskey. Uh, this was great country. This was great country for going, growing grain, and that grain could best be transported, not as grain, because as you can imagine, getting uh, getting, bushels of, uh, getting bushels of wheat or barley or rye across the Alleghenies would make no sense. Your shipping costs would eat up whatever profit you might make. So the best way to ship that material was in, in, form of, uh, in the form of whiskey. Uh, uh, so as, as Western Pennsylvanians saw it, the idea of imposing a tax on whiskey, uh, at the same time that the government was providing no no services in this part of the country, was a uh, was an infringement on their infringement on their rights, uh, and that uh, and that raised uh, and that raised uh, a, a stink here, and that raised an armed revolution, and that revolution that revolt, so upset so concerned George Washington that he put together a uh, a very large army. Uh, 12,000, 15,000 troops, led the army as far as at least Carlisle, I think. I'm trying to remember the exact uh, spot, how far he came. But he came west uh, and then left that army in, uh, under the command of Alexander Hamilton, who came here to Pittsburgh. That army's coming here to Pittsburgh had the, had the necessary effect. It scared the rebels out of, uh, out of southwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, and uh, and the, the the revolt in effect collapsed.
1: Well that was the, the scene you painted in the book where there's a mob outside the the fort here in Pittsburgh Correct. And they were debating Correct. whether or not to burn it. Yes the
0: the, qu- the the question was this these were the these were the angry settlers these were angry farmers and again these would not have been necessarily political these would not have been political people these were farmers who just saw that just as their rights had been violated in 1776 they were being uh, they were being violated again. As the federal government was intruding itself into their lives and not providing not providing services, uh, and yeah, they there's a uh, there's a discussion there. They have shall we uh, shall we burn down Pittsburgh, or shall we just in effect uh, uh, shall we just in accept a ransom? Uh, a man named uh, a man named uh, 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 Hugh Henry uh, uh, Breckenridge. Uh, Uh, Who, for whom, uh, uh, for for his son actually, a town of of, of Brackenridge is is, is named here. He urged them, uh, very wisely, I think, not to burn down Pittsburgh, Uh, because when the federal troops arrived not too much later, uh, they were able to uh, 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 the the punishment that was uh, meted out to uh, uh, to Pittsburgh and to the whiskey rebels was much less serious than it might have been had, say, Pittsburgh been burned and more damage done, more people, more people killed.
1: What's the earliest copy of the Post Gazette or the Gazette? I guess it was originally that you were able to lay your hands on. Yeah, uh,
0: the the early editions are are, are scattered. Uh, there are there are copies from uh, from 1786. There is not a copy of the very first edition. So if someone could find that, we'd very much appreciate having it here and having it here in Pittsburgh. Uh, so the earliest copies date back to uh, date back to 1786. Uh, the 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 paper was was. Uh, was published by a man named John Scull, S, uh, spelled S C U L L. But that that spelling didn't uh, didn't stop people from making fun of his uh, fun of his name, uh, and uh, he was publisher for a good uh, for a good number of years. Uh, if you look at the Post Gazette, uh, uh, it was fairly expensive. Uh, uh, the cost per issue was the equivalent of, of about uh, under two dollars a copy, so a fairly expensive cover price. And advertising was very important. It was for the most part a four page. Four-page uh, publication, and there were plenty of ads on the uh, on the front page, uh, and those ads uh, 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 those ads ranged uh, ranged greatly. There were an, an awful lot of notes, uh, legal notices of varying sorts. There were also uh, offers of of different goods to buy and sell. Uh, there are some things that that certainly, you know, we find we find shocking now. Uh, one of the one of the one of the early little classified ads that I that I found refers to uh, 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 the sale, the sale of a human being. Uh, uh, slavery uh, Slavery had been outlawed in, in, future slavery had been outlawed in, in Pennsylvania, but uh, uh, people, people remained in, in, enslaved uh, for a, a good number, for decades after that uh, uh, original law had, uh, had been passed. That is, people who were born into slavery in effect remained, in, remained enslaved after Pennsylvania after Pennsylvania passed that law uh, so you could in, in, in Pittsburgh here in the 1780's uh, you could uh, uh, you could buy human beings And again that that would take place half a mile less than half a mile from where we're where we're sitting now um, the 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 phrase in that ad that uh, that strikes me as particularly harsh is it notes that uh, if you didn't have cash uh, in order to buy a slave if you didn't have cash to buy a slave uh, 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 cattle or produce Uh, would be acceptable uh, alternatives that is you could you could buy a human being for uh, trade a human being for a for a couple of milk cows in uh, in pittsburgh did it have news in it it did it did have news Uh, it also had commentary Uh, um, news came from a variety of uh, variety of sources Uh, a lot of it would have been picked up from other from other newspapers Uh, uh, the the local newspaper publisher was very often the local postmaster Uh, so uh, uh, he would get first look at the uh, at the out-of-town papers and if he if he saw an item that he thought would be of interest to his readers he would he would pick it up. Uh, uh, the and really there And The equivalent a, of copy and paste. Yeah there was no and there was no uh, uh, copyright protection in terms of this although it was pardon me it was something I guess of a gentleman's agreement that uh, you could you could indeed copy things from other newspapers and for the most part there would be a little note saying from the uh, from the, from a particular New York paper or from a uh, or from a, 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 a South Carolina or a or a Virginia newspaper there'd be a credit given for where the where the item came from uh, and uh, there was there was some local news including sports news uh, there was no football there was no baseball here but there was uh, horse racing and there was an announcement of a of a of a, of a major racing event in 17, 1780, uh, 1786 I think. A major racing event where it was going to be required, if you were going to participate in this in this race, you would have to have appropriate racing colors. Uh, the jockeys would have to be appropriately attired. Uh, in I'm not sure if they were silks, but in in, in, in racing attire, in order to take place in this uh, to take part in this uh, in this race. Did the paper have reporters? uh the the editor in effect would have been would have been the reporter uh and again you relied on and you relied on letters to the editor which were were a very very popular uh part of the paper uh, you relied on these items that you would pick up uh from the uh, uh from the other papers you would uh, you would rely on on things that you might see or things that people told you in uh, in the coffee shops uh, 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 or or you know, coffee shops or tea shops. Uh, uh, news, you know, news in effect that you would pick up. And there was commercial news. There would be notes on uh, on a uh, a load of X coming into coming into Pittsburgh. Uh, a load of uh, of, uh, of nails, perhaps, coming into Pittsburgh, or some other material that you might need for uh, for uh, 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 manufacturing or for construction. What
1: kind of opinion columns did they have you said they had editorials or opinions
0: there things? yeah there would be uh, newspapers tended to be early on identified with uh, identified with the uh, political parties uh, all in all uh, uh, the Pittsburgh Gazette would have been was first the uh, was first the city's uh, a Federalist paper that is in favor of uh, in the favor of a stronger national government and later went on to become uh, this one of the city's Democratic or one of the city's Republican papers that is anti Anti-slavery, uh, pro-public uh, works projects of so various sorts, a like canals. Republican. No, no, uh, the the real the real oh, the, Republicans oh, okay. at the time of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, uh, an, as a matter of fact, in uh, in 1800, just before the election of 1800, a, uh, the, a second newspaper in Pittsburgh started called the Tree of Liberty, which was uh, the Jeffersonian Democratic Republicans, uh, Republicans, a supporter of the Jeffersonian Democratic Republicans.
1: When you were putting this book together and putting your column together, how often do you come across something that makes you say,
0: "Well, son of a gun"? Uh, I would say often. The, the The problem is, the problem is, as I'm looking through these columns, and uh, looking through these old archives, looking through these old papers, is that I'll just get caught up in uh, in following some story that doesn't have anything to do with what uh, with what I'm reporting on. Uh, uh, you know, old uh, old goofy old goofy jokes. Uh, 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 but again, those those can sometimes turn into a those can sometimes turn into a good story. Uh, a photo here that we used of an old timey an old timey balloon. Um, oh yeah. This this is not the balloon from uh, this is not the balloon from I think it's about 18, 1850 or so. But there's a there's a story about a balloon ride that just went completely wrong. Uh, eighteen sixty. Uh, a uh, a man came in from Philadelphia, uh, uh, planning on making a making a balloon voyage. Uh, because it was a balloon, you couldn't be quite sure where this balloon was going to take you. But it was a, it was a major story. It was announced in the in the newspapers that this was going to take place. Uh, there might it occurs to me now in retrospect that there might be some. I might be I perhaps should have been more suspicious about this story than I was at the time. Uh, they're getting ready. They're they're ready to launch this balloon, and before the balloon is properly launched, it suddenly takes off. They they were relying on boys on the ground to hold it in, in place, and the balloon appeared to be too 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 unwieldy, and it just sort of escaped with the with the professor who was, uh, who was going to be the passenger in it, just sort of uh, just sort of hanging on, uh, in a uh, in a makeshift uh, in a makeshift kind of swing, as I imagine it. Uh, and he disappears. And, and imagine, this is 1860. There are no, there are no airplanes. Uh, this would have been the first aircraft of any sort that anyone in Pittsburgh would have ever seen, and it just sort of, it just sort of disappears. And there's no news. There's no news about the professor uh, for a day or two. And then the balloon is found uh, uh, to the north of us, up in Butler County, as I recall. Up in Butler County, the balloon's found, but still no sign of the professor. So it's a mystery. It's a mystery of sorts. Then a, a couple of days after that, uh, uh, the, uh, the Pittsburgh Gazette has a report on this. The professor is, uh, is indeed safe and sound. He was able to, uh, he was able to get out of the, uh, when the balloon headed down toward the ground, he was able to get out of it. But the, uh, but the balloon took off again and eventually ended up in, I'm thinking more like Venango County, well to the, well to the north of us. Uh, and it's that sort of that sort of goofy little story that uh, goofy little story that I like. Uh, and our archives our archives tend to be tend to be full of those. There are plenty of plenty of little stories like that.
1: Well, there's another one. 1927. A stunt driver drove up the inclined railroad.
0: Its inclines are not uh, inclines are they're not unique to Pittsburgh. But at one point, we probably had more of them than any other any other city in the world. And this is a, this is a picture showing demolition of. Uh, of, uh, of the uh, of an incline back in 1927 a lot of these were taken out uh, when uh, when automobiles and people had alternative ways of getting to work the inclines were less important but inclines were primarily people movers to get folks from their their homes in one neighborhood to their to their jobs or to shopping in, in another neighborhood and we had uh, we had a, at least a dozen of them here in Pittsburgh, and as a and as a brilliant publicity stunt, the makers of uh, the makers of an Ohio an, o, an Ohio-made car called the called the Whippet, decided that they would uh, that they would ha- arrange to have one of their stunt drivers drive up the very steep tracks of uh, of a uh, of an incline, and it was it was front page story a front page story in a couple of editions of the uh, of the local newspapers. This was also the era. Of, uh, of, uh, of goldfish swallowing and flagpole sitting and marathon dancing, uh, so the uh, uh, dri- riding driving a Whippet up the uh, up uh, up an incline was a was a was a very good uh, a very good publicity stunt. Did it make it, it to the top? And it did indeed, and it did say something about the, uh, uh, the the low gear power of this of this car, the Whippet, and also its ability of uh, also the, the reliability of its brakes because it did have to come back down again. Uh, which I think maybe would have been a, actually even a harder thing to do, to hold, uh, to, to, hold uh, to use the brake to hold it in place as you're coming down.
1: Now, we could jump all over the place from, from story to story in this, and anything you want to bring up, you're welcome to. Uh, I want to go to this one, where you have the uh, accounts of a hanging, and um, the, the person who, uh, by the name of Fife, had a statement read from the gallows, which according to the Gazette, he said, Ah, oh, how often I wish I could restore George Wilson and his sister back to life. Maddened by thirst for gold and stimulated by drink, I gave them the fatal blow that robbed them of life and sent their souls without warning to the bar of God.
0: There, Do you there, s-
1: suspect someone about to be hanged would really have put it that way?
0: Uh, you know, there's, there's, I, I, there's some indication that people were, that people were more articulate. Uh, even, even folks who had had, edu- up through a high school education, tended to write at least write in a in a much more florid style uh, I, I think this this story is an interesting one uh, again this was uh this involves a, a double hanging uh, and it uh, uh it was henry fife the man who you just quoted and his uh and his and his his mistress his lover charlotte jones and what this story is about is a story that could appear on the front page or the local news page of our of the post gazette now and is even more likely to appear on, uh, on TV news at uh, at five, six, or eleven, because it deals with two of the great themes: uh, 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 sex and money. Uh, Henry Fife and Charlotte Jones uh, committed committed a double murder uh, because they wanted to get money to go housekeeping. Is the way uh, is the way it was described in our uh, in, in in our story, uh, and for that they paid the they paid the ultimate price. Uh, there are a couple of things that I think are interesting about this uh, about this story. Uh, it, as I said, it was it was big news. It was a front it was a front page story, uh, and there's sort of a little political angle to this. Uh, shortly before shortly before uh, this double hanging took place, Pennsylvania had outlawed public execution. Uh, the sheriff at that time, uh, therefore, issued only uh, witness cards to 24 people, 12 witnesses for each of the for each of the people invited to, to witness the execution. The county commissioners, however, being county commissioners, invited all of their friends, all of their campaign supporters, all of their potential campaign supporters, to observe the hanging. Uh, the sheriff said, "No, I'm afraid this is, this is definitely outside the outside the law and they had to go to a county judge to get a ruling on whether or not uh, whether or not you know these hordes could be admitted. To see the uh, see the hanging, and a local and a county judge did rule ultimately that uh, that they could not they could not observe the hanging. So, sort of a win for the sheriff, but it turns out that he was only a one-term sheriff. So there may have been political payback for his uh, uh, for his attempt to 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 stop this hanging from turning into a uh, turning into a public spectacle. Uh,
1: as you read the newspapers, the, the the Gazette and then the Post-Gazette, writing over the centuries, mm-hmm. did you see a, a
0: change in style, writing style? Um, one of the things that, uh, I, yeah, the uh, the the early newspapers, uh, there would be no difference between sort of editorial writing and column writing and letters to the editor, and it was often not, it's often not clear where where material is coming from, other than for those little that little note. At the bottom, saying that it might have been p- picked up from another from another newspaper. Uh, again, newspapers and the and the Gazette, and the uh, and the and the, and the and the Pittsburgh Post, the Daily Post, uh, uh, the Pittsburgh Leader, uh, uh, all, all you know, the Pittsburgh Press. Uh, newspapers were identified with political parties, and and that meant, for example, in the election of the election of eighteen sixty, that the uh, 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 the Post, the Daily Post. Had absolutely nothing good to say about Republican candidates for uh, for federal or or local office. That was what Abraham Lincoln. That had was the, the race president. between Abraham Lincoln uh, and uh, and uh, and Stephen Douglas uh, and two other two other two other candidates as well, Breckinridge and Breckinridge and Bell. Um, so you know the, the Pittsburgh Post would have nothing to, nothing at all good to say about the Republicans, and the uh, and the Gazette would have nothing whatsoever good to say about uh, Democratic candidates. Um, uh, my, you know, my my belief is that there that there really is now a uh, a wall between uh, uh, editorial positions and, and 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 reporters, and we you know we try to maintain that wall, and and in our news stories we try to be, we we struggle to be much more uh, just the facts, uh, you know we're trying to provide unbiased, uh, 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 balanced reporting. Uh, so
1: newspapers back then were more like say. Fox News and MSNBC today, right, or
0: or, or like uh, uh, New Republic and National Review, uh, uh, and it also because because these stories would often be, uh, uh, especially in the early days, would be at least a week old. Uh, there was a, a you know a more editorial or a more featureish uh, uh, approach almost. Uh, uh, they they might be you know they were telling you not only uh, uh, what happened but a, a little bit of their you know, the spin on what happened as well.
1: When you go through this column that you that you write and putting this book together, wh- what episodes do you just desperately wish you could have witnessed?
0: I think uh, Franklin Roosevelt is a big hero of mine. I really wish I had been here in 1936 when Franklin Roosevelt uh, came, when Franklin Roosevelt filled Forbes Field. Uh, it was his second run. It was his second run for the for the presidency. Uh, 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 there had been. It was. It was. There were. Sort of ongoing, ongoing uh, uh, battles here. Uh, it was the it was the very close to the end of the campaign. The campaign was thought to be much closer than the actual vote totals indicated. Uh, the, the the Republicans were holding rallies the same day as uh, as the as President Roosevelt held a held a rally at uh, at, uh, at uh, held a rally at Forbes Field. And there's just a there's just a wonderful picture. One of one of the things I've really enjoyed about uh, doing this book is is uh, not only going through the old archives. Uh, at, uh, at the, uh, uh, the Carnegie Library but also going through our own photo archives here and looking for looking for old photos that uh, that can be used uh, to illustrate the stories and we have this actual absolutely terrific uh, terrific photograph of uh, Franklin Roosevelt uh, waving, waving his hat and looking absolutely 100% uh, a natural a natural politician in his element there at uh, there at Forbes Field.
1: So that was the time he was the incumbent. He was the incumbent was running the, for a second term. The middle of the depression.
0: Correct. Correct. That war had not yet. Started. No, war was war was the last thing on people's mind. The 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 getting you know turning around the economy was still the concern, and uh, uh, and there was there was fear that I and, and I, the fear that it was going to be a, it was clear that it was going to be a much longer depression, and the issue was whether or not uh, whether or not Roosevelt was going to was going to get a second term. As it turns out, the uh, 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 the the popular vote and the electoral vote both vote both went very strongly for him and he had a he had a, a very good 1936 election and uh, easy easy run into his uh, in easy run into his second term.
1: You have a few uh, reports on presidents visiting Pittsburgh uh, Abraham Lincoln prior to his yep. inaugural and I found one in your column that is not in the book on Andrew Johnson visiting Pittsburgh and being overshadowed by uh, U.S. Grant. Right,
0: right. Uh, uh, Sometimes you can be too smart by half. Uh, Andrew Johnson making a, uh, uh, making a tour of the country in uh, in 1866. Andrew Johnson had terrible problems. He was a, he he was a former Democrat who had been uh, who had been uh, nominated to uh, to uh, run with Lincoln in 1864. Lincoln running for his second term as part of a as part of a fusion ticket. That is a unity a unity government during uh, during the Civil War. Uh, so Andrew Johnson, Tennessean. Former Democrat, uh, with us and a strong believer in what he thought also was Lincoln's policy—a strong believer in uh, a, a lenient uh, policy toward the South, bringing the South back into uh, back into uh, back into the Union. Uh, he was faced by a very hostile Republican Congress. Uh, Johnson decided, if he, while he's making this tour, what would be a really good idea? Let's get let's get some of the most popular men in the country to come along with me. There's no doubt about it. The most popular man in the country at that point would have been U.S. Grant, Ulysses, Ulysses Simpson Grant. Uh, 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 Johnson, brings, uh, Johnson brings Grant to Pittsburgh. As they're traveling through the, uh, the streets of Pittsburgh, the, the reporter for the, for the Gazette notes, that uh, uh, while there are lots and lots of cheers, there are lots and lots of cheers for, uh, for Grant, and, and for Grant's carriage, it's pretty much silent as, uh, as Andrew Johnson's passing by. Uh, nevertheless, he's the president, and he's, he's destined to be the main speaker. Uh, and in a speech made on, uh, on Wood Street, uh, I'm, I'm thinking I'm remembering this, right? On, on Wood Street, a, uh, a platform has been set up. Johnson gets up, he begins to speak. You know, he's kind of, kind of uh, heard respectfully. He is the president but then he, goes into his, then he goes into his defense of his policies regarding the South, his leniency uh, toward, toward the South, and that starts, uh, that starts rumbling and groaning and yelling and shouting and absolute chaos. Uh, he cannot make himself heard. This, of course, is the days before electronic microphones, so you know, if you've got a mob against you and this this crowd is very close to being this crowd is very close to being a mob if you've got a mob against you there's no way you're going to be able to get your message across he tries for 15 minutes he starts again Uh, uh, the crowd quiets a bit he starts again Uh, as soon as he starts talking chaos again Uh, and now a new chart a new chant starts up uh, Grant, 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 who's on the platform with him. Again, remember he had brought Grant along to try to, try to benefit from some, of his, uh, from some of his popularity. He, uh, uh, you know, and this is, this is all the people want to hear. Grant, Grant, Grant. Grant, however, is a serving officer. He cannot afford to say anything and he should not be saying anything that, uh, that might reflect badly on his commander. Uh, uh, General McChrystal found out the dangers of uh, of, uh, of speaking off the record, or speaking out of turn, uh, uh, in in his dealings with the President Obama, fairly fairly recently. Uh, so Grant, maybe showing the makings of a politician, Grant gets up, uh, bows to the crowd, does not say anything, and uh, and sits down, uh, and Johnson gives up. Uh, Johnson's reception. Uh, I think here in Pittsburgh has got to has got to be without a doubt the worst reception ever given a U.S. president by uh, by people in this by people in this city. I mean, they you know they were they they were making known their feelings, and of course Johnson had a had a terrible remaining two years. He was he was impeached, that is indicted by Congress, but uh, but was not removed from office, although it was a very close vote in the Senate. And U.S. Grant followed him into the White House as the next president.
1: You also write in this book about a. Uh a visit to the city by Calvin Coolidge when he was president, Silent Cal, where he said almost nothing. <laughs>
0: right. There is, there is, a, there is that, a, a fairly famous story about Calvin Coolidge, if you can refer to a famous story involving Calvin Coolidge. But uh, 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 Coolidge is at dinner. He's sitting next to a, uh, a society matron who says, oh, 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 Mr. President, Mr. President, I, I, I bet my husband $5 that I, could get, uh, that I could get you to say three words. And Coolidge is supposed to have looked at the woman and said, "You lose." Uh, when, uh, when Coolidge came to Pittsburgh, he 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 had come to address uh, he had come to address a uh, a meeting of the uh, an anniversary meeting of the Carnegie, Carnegie Institute. And the agreement was uh, this was Silent Cal that he would not have to talk to the press, and he would not have to talk to any other any other group in the uh, in the uh, in the city.
1: So unlike most politicians,
0: uh, very unlike uh, most uh, most politicians. Uh, there's a reference here about how the job of several policemen was just simply to keep the press away from uh, from Calvin Coolidge. Uh, he stayed with the uh, he stayed with the Mellons. Uh, 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 Andrew W. Mellon was his secretary of the treasury, and uh, and uh, he stayed at uh, at Andrew's brother brother uh, Robert's estate when he was uh, uh, b- when he w- when he made this when he made this one day visit. Uh, he also went out to uh, he also went out to address students at uh, what is now Carnegie Mellon University. Or he also went out to meet with students from Carnegie Mellon University. But again, the the deal had been that uh, that uh, uh, Calvin Coolidge would only make one would only make one speech. So when he went out to uh, to talk to the students, the uh, uh, the president of the uh, of the university asked him, wouldn't he say just a few words to the assembled students? Well, being Calvin Coolidge, he did. Uh, 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 Coolidge's response was, "I shall not break Colonel Church's promise to you." Nine words. That was it. He said his he said his piece and uh, and uh, and you know withdrew from the stage. Uh, and I, I I really do like that story. In, a, in an age when it seems like you can't shut politicians up, uh, some of them at least might take uh, might learn a lesson from Silent Cal Coolidge.
1: Now, uh, here's another one. Just picked at random, uh, Coxie's Army. And you say that this gentleman, uh, Jacob Coxie, wanted to go to Washington. His goal was to seek congressional support for his plan to issue $500 million in interest-free bonds. Proceeds would be used to pay unemployed men to build roads at a time when the country was in a deep economic depression. Sounds familiar?
0: It does. Um, uh, and boy, when you think about how low interest rates are now, maybe maybe it would have been possible to to issue bonds that wouldn't pay, that wouldn't pay an interest rate. But he, uh, 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 Jacob Coxey, in, in general, is thought to be uh, something of a, something of a crackpot. But he got a fairly warm welcome here in here in Pittsburgh. Uh, 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 small business people uh, who were who were uh, who were worried about the the future of the economy, small business people, and certainly lots of lots of laboring folks, uh, thought that uh, this march on Washington was a, was a good idea. He was uh, he was housed over on the uh, he, he and his army, uh, which was organized sort of uh, according to military uh, military uh, uh, standards. There were there were uh, there were, he had he had uh, uh, an officer corps who oversaw the various units of 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 the army, and they uh, and they bivouacked in effect in uh, in tents overnight, and they ate sort of military style military style rations. Uh, uh, so it was it was it was a. It was a it was a combination of a, of a, of, a, of a major entertainment, and uh, and uh, but with you know with his serious purpose at least as as as, as they saw it. Um, it. It however, Pittsburgh may have been one of the high points for Coxey's Army in that they were very well received here. Uh, there was a split in the leadership uh, before they got to before they got to Washington, and uh, when Coxey finally did when uh, Coxey finally did arrive in in Washington. He was, in effect, arrested for trespassing on the, uh, on the Capitol lawn. And nothing really ever came of his idea of, uh, of, uh, of no interest bonds to, uh, to fund public works.
1: How did the Post-Gazette over the years cover the rise of the steel industry and then the, the labor unions and uh, labor and management clashes?
0: Uh, again, we would have been a more, we, we were, for much of our history, a more conservative, a conservative newspaper. Uh, uh, but i think i think an attempt to be i think an attempt to be fair uh, uh both the post-gazette and uh, and some of our uh, and some of our uh competing papers as uh, as as well uh, the we were clearly shocked the the, the post-gazette and, it, and its edit, and its editors were clearly shocked by the uh, by the great railroad strike of, of 1877. Uh, most Pittsburghers are familiar with uh, uh the steel strike, the Homestead steel strike of 1892, because that that involved uh, Henry Clay Frick as the uh, as the acting manager of the Homestead steel uh, steel plant, uh, and uh, 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 that that involved uh, that involved I'm thinking six or seven six or seven deaths. Uh, uh, Henry Clay Frick brought in uh, strikebreakers, Pinkertons, to try to get into the Homestead works, which had been in effect occupied and taken over by by strikers. That that tends to be the the strike that people, that people remember, the Homestead Steel Strike of, 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 of 1892. A much bloodier, much longer, and uh, possibly more dangerous strike was the, uh, was the Great Railroad Strike of 1877. Uh, that involved, and that, also, that story also has sort of a, a Philadelphia-Pittsburgh uh, uh, angle to it. Uh, because, because the governor wasn't sure uh, that, uh, that local militia troops, and in effect, the, the equivalent, the 19th century equivalent of the National Guard, because the governor wasn't sure that uh, local militia would have been willing to, to take strong action against, uh, against their, their fellow Allegheny County residents, uh, the governor uh, called for uh, militia troops from Philadelphia. Uh, the, f- the troops arrived in 1877. This was this was summertime of 1877, and found themselves facing a huge mob. Uh, this was uh, these were folks who were uh, upset about the railroads' efforts to cut back. Uh, you know, this, uh, this sounds familiar. To cut back wages and to increase workload. That is, create put together longer trains manned with uh, manned with fewer uh, engineers and, uh, and and conductors and brakemen. Uh, and uh, so the 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 militia arrives. Uh, it's again not quite, you know, as with uh, Lexington and Concord and a number of other events. It's, it's not entirely clear who was most at fault, but the, but the militia from Philadelphia do indeed fire into the crowd. This infuriates this gigantic crowd. The militiamen withdraw into a, uh, withdraw into a uh, uh, roundhouse in what's now the stri- It's what's now our Strip District, uh, and they're they're under siege. They're under siege all night. Uh, at one point, they're t- the uh, the, uh, the the people who are besieging them, the strikers, are trying to load up railroad cars uh, with burning materials, uh, bales of bales of hay, lighting them and trying to smash them into the uh, smash them into the uh, into the roundhouse. Uh, and this is this is shocking, and that comes across, I think, in the uh, in the newspaper. Uh, uh, it's 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 clear to the newspaper, I think, that uh, that this was badly handled. Uh, no matter what the political feelings might be about the rightness or wrongness of the strikers' position, but just, just, and this could have ended. This could have ended much worse. These, 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 uh, these railro- these uh, uh, troops from Philadelphia eventually have to uh, withdraw to Lawrenceville, which at that point was still outside the city. They withdraw to Lawrenceville. They remove their uniforms in a lot of cases. Try to get going on out. Uh, try to get aboard outgoing trains and head back to Philadelphia as quickly as quickly as they can. Uh, and the loss of life was much greater in the great railroad strike of 1877 than in the homestead steel strike of 1892
1: you you say that even 131 years ago before the birth of professional football and hockey leagues there was bad blood between the state's two largest cities right. do you get a sense of that reading the paper that there was kind of a rivalry or negative feeling well for I,
0: again part part of it could go back to those earliest days where the state government when when the state government was in Philadelphia and the belief was that in philadelphia they didn't have any sense of what the problems were here on the frontier uh, uh, part of it part of it had ties back into the uh, quaker heritage of the uh, of the pens the pens were pacifists they believed in as much as possible getting having good relations with the good relations with the native americans here on the frontier it was uh, it was much more brutal it was much more brutal and uh, uh, Pennsylvania people living on the on the frontier in western Pennsylvania uh, found themselves continue, as they saw it continually under threat from uh, from from Native Americans and they were getting no support they were getting no armed aid from uh, uh, from from Philadelphia so it, it really could go back to those those absolute earliest earliest days where those those uh, those Easterners didn't understand what life was like here in the here in the West
1: do you sense the, in reading the paper that the the paper had sympathies for one side or the other in the in the labor-management disputes and and how, how does Henry Clay Frick come across as a good guy or a bad guy?
0: Um, Hen- Henry Clay Frick starts out as a very bad guy, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, uh, but again, there was there, there was concern that this was. What the strikers had done is they had occupied somebody else's property, and the 19th century was a was a was a century that believed strongly in in property rights. Uh, So uh, there was you know the the newspaper would have been concerned. The newspaper was concerned that a that a that a business had been had been occupied, Uh, uh, control of it had been taken away from its owners at least at least temporarily. Uh, But that said, uh, you know the the coverage was not the coverage was not good for Henry Clay Frick bringing in. Bringing in the, the Pinkertons, however, however he gained an awful lot of respect from uh, from people when he was the subject of an assassination attempt uh, a few weeks after the a few weeks after the homestead uh, after the homestead strike in uh, uh, an anarchist named Alexander Berkman uh, uh, came to his office uh, tell, telling telling uh, telling the receptionist that he had information on on employees that would be willing to work. For uh, for a, uh, he was you know he was a labor broker he'd be able to find employees be willing to work for uh, uh, for Carnegie Steel uh, when he came into uh, when he came into uh, Frick's office he both stabbed and shot him uh, uh, Frick called for help uh, a carp- and my memory is it's a carpenter working a carpenter working just outside the office came in and, and Frick. And several, it took Frick and several other people to uh, to subdue uh, Alexander Berkman. Here's the situation: Frick has now been uh, has been wounded several times, both uh, both with a small pistol and uh, and stabbed. He insists first upon seeing the face of his of his assailant, uh, Alexander Berkman. Uh, he then says that he's not going to he's going to finish his day's work. So call a doctor here. To take uh, to take care of his wounds, a doctor comes to to Frick's office, patches him up as best he can. Frick finishes his afternoon's work and then goes home. Uh, this this story did help uh, in uh, did help Frick rehabilitate his uh, his image, uh, and uh, uh, he he was at home then for a few weeks recovering in in Clayton, a home that you can still visit here in Pittsburgh, uh, and. Uh, and this was definitely a, a, a public relations, an early example of, of public relations. When he returned to work, uh, when Henry Clay Frick returned to work, he came to work that day at least on the streetcar, uh, indicating that one, he wasn't afraid to travel among the public, and two, trying to, uh, trying to prove that he was just sort of a regular guy. Uh, so yeah, first day, uh, first day back at work after an almost fatal attack, and he comes to work on a streetcar.
1: How was the Civil War felt in the Pittsburgh area, and, and how was it reported in the paper? We were
0: uh, we were a major source of both troops, and of, of material. Uh, there was a a, cam, a a major cannon foundry here, uh, and the uh, uh, the armory at Lawrenceville, which had been making munitions since the war of eighteen since the war of eighteen twelve, was an important maker of uh, of supplies for the Union Army. It was also the that Lawrenceville Armory was also the site of a of a hideous of a hideous accident uh, that killed uh, that killed sixty, I think, somewhere close to sixty uh, uh, civilian workers at the uh, at the armory, and uh, uh, that was just a just a terrible that was just a terrible accident. The uh, uh, it, it's most likely that a uh, uh, that gunpowder had been, which is supposed to be cleaned up, gunpowder had been left uh, had been left in an entranceway to one of the many buildings at the uh, at the uh, at the uh, at the, at the armory, and uh, uh, oh, I keep calling it an armory, it's the, it's the, it's the uh, arsenal at Lawrenceville, the Lawrenceville arsenal uh, where, where the munitions were made. Uh, gunpowder had been left lying around, it should have been swept up, it should have been cleaned up, it was not. The belief is that uh, iron horseshoes or iron wheels on delivery wagons ignited the gunpowder, that ignited, uh, that ignited uh, 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 barrels of gunpowder and, and, uh, and cases of munitions, and a, a tremendous explosion that from Lawrenceville could be heard could be heard downtown. The next day's reports by that time the uh, by that time the Gazette was a daily. The next day's reports are are horrific. The sort of the sort of injuries that you could imagine with that much gunpowder and that much that much steel and shrapnel. Uh, 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 the the workforce there at the uh, at the arsenal was primarily women. The belief was that women and children had greater dexterity and were more careful in, in assembling. And you did this you did this by hand in assembling shells of varying sorts, artillery shells of varying sorts. Uh, the, the the women were horribly burned. They were uh, they were you know they were they were they were mutilated, uh, and it was, uh, it was apparently just a terrible scene. And the next day's reports. What struck me about those next day's reports in. Uh, in uh, 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 in in during the Civil War, was that those stories could have appeared in, in, in sort of a next day paper? Uh, they were graphic. They were based on firsthand. They were based on firsthand uh, uh, observation. Uh, uh, you know, it was I, th- I thought a good job of a good job of reporting. It both reported what went on, what went on that day, and also tried to look ahead a little bit in terms of what is the uh, uh, what's going to you know what what was the cause of this? Trying to look into look look into possible causes on this. Uh, so just a hideous event during the Civil War. There was also great excitement as you might imagine here in Pittsburgh when Lee's army invaded Pennsylvania in uh, in the summer of 1863 and then effectively disappeared. Uh, people didn't know where Lee's army was going. Was he going to try to take Philadelphia? Was he going to try to take Harrisburg? Was he going to try to, to move here and uh, move and take over Pittsburgh? It was, uh, uh, there were unanswered questions and the newspaper did its best to try to provide answers, but uh, uh, there, you know, there it was just a very, very nervous time here. What the city did was uh, devote resources then, somewhat last minute, but to building up defenses around the city. Uh, uh, work stopped at a lot of uh, at a lot of factories, at a lot of uh, a lot of foundries, and uh, and crews of men worked at putting up uh, putting up uh, uh, earthenwork defenses at various points around around the city, uh, and that continued right up until. The Battle of Gettysburg, when it then became clear where Lee's army was, what his uh, clear what his plan was, and that Pittsburgh really had not been under any direct danger during this time. But in in Pittsburgh here, they were not taking chances. It's also very odd to go through those old papers and and see headlines uh, like uh, you know Chambersburg, Chambersburg burned, uh, you know Carlisle shelled. Uh, places and names that we know well, that were in the center of a, of, of, of a war—the kind of thing that, in all of our memories, uh, you know, the kind of things that happened in in uh, in other countries. Uh, but uh, you know, war war had come very close to uh, to Pittsburgh and to Pennsylvania in 1863.
1: Where are the archives of the Post Gazette kept? Are they on microfilm or it's all or it's all there are, are few, there are a few there are a few
0: paper copies. There are a few paper copies. We have we have here in the office. Uh, at, uh, on Boulevard of the Allies, one of the earliest editions, a paper copy of one of the earliest editions of the, uh, of the Pittsburgh Gazette, something that our, uh, that our editor in, editor-in-chief, uh, John Robinson Block, uh, has, has put on display. Uh, but they almost all exist as microfilm. We have some microfilm here in the, uh, in the office, and there's also probably the most complete set, and it's an incomplete set. The most complete set is at the Carnegie Library of Pittsburgh at its, uh, at its Oakland branch.
1: I want to. Um, we only have a couple minutes left, and there's so many stories to tell. I want to ask you about the the Pittsburgh Symphony and the Sabbath Association, because apparently the Symphony and the Sabbath Association had a clash. Once
0: they they done. did indeed. This was in this was in 1927, and uh, the Pittsburgh Symphony was performing at the Syria Mosque, uh, which was a uh, which was a large and very popular uh, uh, entertainment venue, uh, and the. You know, Pitt, or Pennsylvania had had blue laws for uh, the better part of uh, the better part of a century and a half, two centuries, and that meant that Sunday should be devoted to uh, rest and, and and religion. That is, church services and uh, and uh, uh, and no no entertainment, uh, no, certainly no sports. Uh, that seemed unfair, in part, to the uh, to the Pittsburgh uh, to the Pittsburgh Symphony. Uh, so in 1927, they, they were determined to to uh, test those those blue laws by having a uh, by having a concert on uh, on a Sunday. Uh, the uh, they they were wise in that they uh, that they got the they arranged for the for the concert to be opened by a uh, by a minister who, who gave a who gave a a, a prayer uh, before the start of the concert. And then they went on to uh, they went on to do a, a regular a regular uh, uh, performance. Uh, when the performance ended, uh, the head of the board of trustees for the symphony, I think the the conductor and the concertmaster uh, were all were all arrested and charged with breaking with breaking the city's uh, Sabbath laws. Uh, the uh, it it worked its way through the courts. Uh, uh, the fines eventually were quashed. They, they, they never did pay any fines. But the issue of what you could do, what sort of entertainment you could do on a Sunday was not resolved for multiple years. And it was finally resolved not by the musicians, but by sports fans. Because what people certainly wanted to be able to go to the symphony on a Sunday, but what they really wanted to do was to be able to watch, in, in those days, more baseball, but both baseball and, uh, and football. And the uh, and the, the folks who were really able to uh, really able to finally break those uh, break those Sunday blue laws, at least involving entertainment, uh, were the uh, were the sports teams. Um, Pittsburghers Pittsburghers wanted to make sure they could see their see their Steelers or watch their Pirates on a uh, on a Sunday
1: before we run out of time, uh, how long have you been a newspaper man?
0: Oh, God, uh, I wrote a column this year about, uh, about my 40 years of doing this. Uh, I started working for the, uh, the All- in the Panther Valley Bureau of the Allentown Morning Call at the other end of the state, uh, and I've, I've, I, in, terms of, in terms of making a living, it's the only thing I've done ever since. Uh, it's continued to be an awful lot of, it continues to be a challenge every day. Uh, when you, you're faced with a blank screen or a blank, now a blank screen, or in the old days a blank piece of paper, uh, there's still always this feeling of panic. How, how am I possibly going to fill this? What could I possibly have to say that's going to be of interest or importance to, uh, to anyone? But you soldier on, uh, and, and there are a few satisfactions as, as great as, as, as crafting, that, uh, crafting that story, and that story whether it's 300 words or 1,300 words.
1: And this column, Eyewitness, you said appears every other Sunday in the Post Gazette, and by definition, everybody should buy a paper copy of the Post Gazette every Sunday. But if they live in an area where they cannot get it, is Eyewitness
0: online? It is also. It is also online. It is also online. Yeah, um, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, it's and and the the plan is to continue it for. It's proved to be very popular. I get lots and lots of, of emails and notes on on eyewitness, and with uh, with 224 years worth of archives, there are plenty of stories. There are plenty of stories to be told. Uh, you know the nature of newspapers; they're ephemeral. Uh, so I'm glad to be able to uh, I'm glad to be able to bring some of these stories uh, bring some of these stories back in uh, in another in another form.
1: Well, maybe this will just prove to be volume one in this series of books. This is. The cover, Remembering Pittsburgh, An Eyewitness History of the Steel City. And we've been talking with author Len Barkowski. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been
0: listening to a podcast of PA Books, a production of PCN, the Pennsylvania Cable Network. Full episodes of PA Books, as well as other PCN programs, are available to stream with the PCN app. Visit PCNTV.com or the App Store for details. Like us on Facebook.